To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week I have on Jeff Nemec from the Eastman's Predator Pro podcast. Uh, so we talk over predator hunting. We talk over hunting wolves, hunting coyotes, uh, some of the off-season stuff you can do. We talk about calibers and accuracy, talk about the AR platform. Uh, it's just a great organic conversation. Uh, really enjoyed getting together with them and uh, talking things over and learned a few things along the way. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Savage. Uh, Savage builds great out-of-the-box accuracy rifles. I'm so impressed by these rifles. Uh, I had one built up and had it sighted in within a few shots and just shooting great groups and great groups at range. Uh, so impressed by their platform. So they have a bunch of different rifle models. They have budget rifle models, and they all shoot good. Uh, one of our favorites in the office is the 110 Ultralight. That's just a great mountain rifle, and on that they have a an Accu stock, so you can adjust the length of trigger pull, you can adjust the comb height. Uh, they also have an Accu trigger, so you can adjust your own trigger for uh, you know the poundage you want on the pull of your trigger, which really helps with accuracy. Uh, so you can do all that with the 110 Ultralight, but they have a, a bunch of different models you can check out on their website, a bunch of different price points, uh, and they're just great out-of-the-box accuracy rifles. The things just shoot. Um, so if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to go check them out over at Savage Arms. I also want to thank Swagger. Uh, shooting accurately comes down to having a good rest, and Swagger has got the rest for you. So they have bipods. Uh, that'll mount to your rifle. They also have a quick detach on it so you can carry the sticks in your pack and then put it on your rifle when you get close to that shooting position. They have all different heights and then they swivel on there. So if that big bull elk starts to walk to the right, you can swivel to the right and track them. Uh, they're spring tension loaded so you can set up on hillsides. You can set up sitting, kneeling, they have sticks for standing, just they make for a great rest. Uh, they also have shooting sticks if you don't like the bipod model being attached to your rifle. So you can check out their shooting sticks as well. And uh, we just want to thank Swagger for their support on the podcast. Thanks, guys. I also want to thank Outdoor Edge. Outdoor Edge builds replaceable blade knives. Uh, these things have been a game changer for me. Outdoor Edge makes a bit stiffer knife that's a... Uh, a bit burlier. It's not going to snap or break on you. It's got great force on it. Uh, keeps a really good edge. And I can butcher an entire animal, detach the head, do everything with an outdoor edge knife. So uh, they're a great asset for us hunters. And I just love how sharp they are where I don't have to carry multiple knives or sharpeners or anything like that. Uh, I can just change out the blade because like those, those elk hides are so thick that um, butchering an elk, it's tough to do with one blade. It gets dull cutting through that thick hide, and so then I can just change out a blade, and I can butcher an elk with two blades, three blades, and always have a sharp knife, which also keeps me safer that I don't have to force it. Um, so they make a great product. If you're in the market for a new replaceable blade knife, make sure to check them out at Outdoor Edge. 
I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is one of the most addictive apps out there. They have 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. You get great discounts on great gear. Uh, if you check out this app, they'll pop up. And, um, yeah, you can save tons of money on um, great gear, great name brands. And so I know a bunch of my buddies have got hooked on this app and pick up good gear from it. Uh, so if you're in the market for something new, make sure to check out Camo Fire. I also want to thank Black Ovis. been using their game bags this year and uh, been checking out their site. Um, gosh, they got a, a, all the top name brands in there. Uh, everything you could need for your hunt. They have great deals in there. I was really impressed at the savings you can get on a lot of their stuff. Uh, and also they have uh, great promos. They do a, a points reward system where one point equals one dollar. You get those points on purchases. You can get them on reviews and then spend that on your next purchase. They also have the Arrow ID, which is a great program. And uh, we, we also have a promo code there. So uh, if you put in the code... Uh, Eastman's or uh, elevated 10 uh, you'll save 10% on your order so 10% saves a bunch of money uh, but yeah I just want to thank Black Ovis for their support of the podcast really appreciate those guys they're all hunters in there uh, like I say all the top name brands great deals it's an internet retail store so if you're in the market for anything for this hunting season make sure to check them out at Black Ovis all right and uh, with that, with over there at Eastman's, you can check out that Mule Deer School. Uh, really proud how that came out. A bunch of videos sure to cut your learning curve by years uh, in a couple weeks' time, uh, walking your way through these videos. Absolutely everything I know about mule deer hunting. Um, you know, we also have Dan Bacar and Guy Eastman in there. I just saw something go across my feed. Guy Eastman just killed a heck of a good muley buck, just a really deep forked one. Uh, but yeah, he's in there as well. He does the rifle section for us. Uh, I think he came out really good. So check that out. You can just search Eastman's, uh, mule deer course and that'll pop up. I think it's a great value for the money. Uh, you can also check us out beyond the grid, our internet TV show, new episodes dropping, uh, all the time. I'm not sure exactly. Is it one a month? I think it's one a month we drop in there. Uh, but they come out on Saturdays. You can check that out on YouTube, also on the Outdoor Channel, and then check out our magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting Journal. Um, with that, let's get into this podcast. Uh, Jeff Nemec from the uh, Eastman's Predator Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here with Jeff. So uh, Jeff runs the Predator Pro podcast uh, on Eastman's there. So man, congratulations! You're on the treadmill, huh? Yeah, man. It's it's great to be part of the team. It's uh, it's been a a little bit of a road and a, a journey to learn this whole podcast thing, but uh, but we're on the board and uh, and we're going strong. Yeah, good for you. It is um, it's such a learning curve to have to to learn these new programs. Heck, we were just messing around with our audio for ten minutes before we got started. I know, and that's the whole key, right? I mean, a podcast is nothing but audio, so you got to have it as good as possible. Yeah, that's it. Um, but yeah, you're getting dialed in. You got quite a few episodes now, right? They seem to be doing good. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I think we uh, just uh, released episode 22 here uh, last week. Um, you know, we were going hot and heavy there through the predator hunting season, you know, the fall and winter. Um, but uh, I kind of slow up a little bit. You know, we don't release them quite as often as yours. Um, just obviously being our first season and, and getting going. Plus, you know, I, I get real busy in the spring and summer with, uh, 
you know, my lawn care business and baseball. So, uh, I kind of switch gears and I'm not real, uh, coyote killing orientated that time of year, you know? So I've been, been off the mic for about three months, but, uh, luckily I had a bunch of pre-recorded that kind of released over the summer, but yeah, we'll be getting, getting back into, you know, finishing up season one and, and going into season two here uh, this fall. Man, congratulations. Yeah. Um, so, so fall and winter's your main prime time for predators, huh? Yeah. You know, that's, you know, I'm here in Western Nebraska, so, you know, our coyotes have always been worth, worth some money. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, from, from the early days of, of me hunting coyotes, it's kind of been of a, a fall and winter deal. Um, you know, anymore, it seems like guys are hunting them year round, especially with the, you know, thermals and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff going on. And, and most states have, you know, pretty much zero regulations on coyotes, so you can hunt them 365. Um, so, but for me, it's always been kind of like a, a personal season, you know. Yeah, we can hunt them 365 in Nebraska, but it's kind of been uh, a regulatory, you know, on the personal side of me just saying, hey, I'm just going to wait till it cools down a little bit and I can get uh, done with all my lawn care business and, and that kind of stuff, and which opens things up for me in the winter and allows me to uh, travel and uh, you know, do all the stuff I do in the coyote world. Man, it sounds like um, uh, they get good hair that time of year, and then you get a decent price. You get a decent bonus check at the end of season, like after uh, uh, traveling around and shooting coyotes. Do you skin them all and then sell them? You know, it, it varies from year to year. The fur market's so volatile. You know, just a few years ago, it was probably the highest I'd ever seen in 20 years. And now this year it's dropped to probably the lowest I've ever seen. <laughs> so you just, you never know, you know, I mean, uh, just crazy thing. I actually got a fur check here. Um, a buddy of mine, I've, I've actually never skinned a coyote in my entire life, which shocks a lot of people. I mean, I've killed thousands of them, but, um, I've never messed with that. I've usually either just sell them whole on the carcass to a fur buyer or, or have some buddies that'll put them up for me, you know, and I usually kind of go 50, 50 on them when, when they put them up and we send them off to auction kind of a deal, but just actually got a fur check. Uh, from a big fur auction uh, up in Canada, and uh, uh, I think I got an $11 average on finished coyotes, which is absolutely terrible. You know, when you think about the time you, you know, put into to putting up a 11 bucks doesn't even, you know, it's about three bucks an hour kind of a deal. You know, so uh, wasn't greatest, but uh, you know, better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, good thing it's a labor of love. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh yeah, the <laughs> hourly rate doesn't quite work out, but but a nice bonus check, anyways. You know, get, to get paid what you love to do. So so uh, uh, what do you love so much about predator hunting? It seems like you're traveling all over and and shooting coyotes. Uh, uh, so so what made you fall in love with predator hunting then? You know, probably in the early two thousands, um, I actually did quite a bit of big game hunting. Um. You know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was going to college. I had lots of time on my hands, so I was doing it all. I was waterfowl hunting, big game hunting, shooting coyotes in between. Um, you know, and and the the problem I always had with big game hunting is I hardly ever pulled the trigger because I always thought to myself, as soon as I shoot that deer or antelope or whatever, I'm done. You know, I got to go home. <laughs> and you know, it might be first thing in the morning or whatever. And and the thing that always appealed to me about coyote hunting was, you know, I can I can plan a full day. You know, sun up to sundown hunt, and I don't have to stop after I kill one. I can try to shoot as many as we can that day, and and uh, you know, just put the pedal to the metal all day long, put together a plan all day long, and and just go after it and spend an entire day or a couple days or whatever my trip may entail. You know, instead of being and I go if I shoot right now, you know, my trip's over, kind of a deal. So that's what's really appealed to me is is the fast pace travel. You know, I'm not sitting there for hours on end. You know, I'm sitting on one stand for 
you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes tops and I'm, you know, in the truck and on to the next one, you know, so I'm covering lots of country, really a proactive approach. You know, you're, you're, you're actively trying to figure out where these coyotes are going to be and sneaking in and setting up. And if it works great, if it doesn't boom on to the next one, you know, and it's just kind of a, an all day March, you know, knocking out stands and, and seeing how much ground you can cover and how many coyotes you can pile up. Man, um, sounds like action. And yeah, uh, especially like the way you do it, being able to travel to these different states that don't require much for licensing for hunting coyotes. And uh, like you say, no tags or uh, quotas or things of that nature. So yeah, uh, it makes sense. Like, uh, And there's like a... A, a pretty cool interaction too with the calling and the coyotes like you must get pretty excited like when it when it works out or when a setup works like a uh, like like any hunting it's got to be a bit of a chess match with them and and they get educated and um uh can be tough to fool at times i would imagine oh for sure that's yeah i mean you're putting you know obviously you like matching wits with big mule deer big bull elk whatever it is you know but you know, there's always that that extra notch when you're trying to hunt predators that that you know they just have that extra sense, you know. So I've always just felt like, wow, if you can fool a coyote, you know, or any other predator, and and get them as close as you do, and and you know realize, hey, they have no clue you're even here. Um, yeah, that's always it's just I've always you know embraced that challenge and love that challenge of uh, that that coyote calling has to offer. Hmm. Well, it's so good for the deer and the elk too. Like you're saving fawns all along the way. Like uh, uh, even if it's not as as full time pedal to the metal like you, like even just doing some predator control sure helps out. Like man, those um those coyotes uh uh they they just um they're in all fifty states now. They're in every single city and they're just killing machines. And uh, I've seen them take down um, antelope fawns and deer fawns and such. And so they put a hurting on the on the ungulate population too oh yeah you know and you know and i think there's been quite a bit of research done you know really as far as predator management goes you know and, and the time of year you do it's probably pretty crucial you know at least from from the things that i've read and looked at you know you know killing coyotes off in the fall probably not a you know probably not going to impact the, the the deer and antelope populations as much as if you do it later in the you know late winter early spring you know when the when the fawns are getting ready to drop because obviously you know what is there maybe a two-week period probably after the fawns drop that they're probably the most susceptible to smaller predators like coyotes mm-hmm. um you know so so yeah really if you're you're in the mood for predator management you know you're looking more or that late winter early spring um but you know if you're if you're on top of it and maybe a property or area that you're looking to control predators if you stay on it you know once a month throughout the the fall and kind of you know keeping it tied down a little bit, you know, you won't have such, you know, as huge of a problem when it comes time for spring and, and trying to thin them out at that time. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. And so like when you talk predators, like, um, are you able to, to hunt bobcats in Nebraska or other places you travel to or, uh, mountain lions or, uh, bears or are there, are there any other predators that you like to hunt or are coyotes just the top for you? You know, coyotes are the top just because they're everywhere, you know, and their numbers are, are that much greater. Um, you know, we don't discriminate. I mean, if a bobcat comes rolling into the call, um, you know, and we have the right tags and we're in the right state and the seasons are open, um, you know, obviously when you're dealing with bobcats and mountain lions and things like that, there's usually seasons and you got to have maybe an extra tag, a fur bears tag, or even a lion tag or something like that. 
Um, but if everything works out, yeah, I mean, we don't because uh, they'll come into the call just the same way. Um, you know, the, the tricky part about bobcats and lions and things like that, I think personally, is just there's not as many of them. So um, one of the huge key of, of calling in a coyote is setting up within, you know, maybe a, a 600, a half mile radius of where there's a coyote. So he hears the call and he wants to come to the call. I mean, that's probably the hardest part about killing a bobcat or a, a lion it, is just setting up where there is one. You know, and mm. uh, and they approach the call a little bit different. So, and there's just not the densities aren't what they are in the coyote world. So, but yeah, you know, Arizona is probably where we kill the most bobcats. Um, we do have them in Nebraska. I probably over the years I've probably only ever called in two or three bobcats in Nebraska. Um, I have called in you know bobcats in Wyoming, down in Kansas. You know, there's quite a few bobcats down there. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's kind of like the bonus. You know, you kill a lot of coyotes, and so when finally when a bobcat comes rolling in. Um, they're not very smart, at least in my opinion, compared to a coyote. Um, but, uh, it's, it's kind of that, uh, unicorn sometimes when you don't kill very many of them, when you finally do see one, you get kind of a little extra jazzed up, you know, oh, when a bobcat man. shows up to the call, you know? Yeah, that's super cool. There's such a, a a pretty species that spotted cat, you know. Um, yeah, that's wild that the that the coyotes uh, seem to be smarter than the bobcats, but I guess they get pressured a little bit more and maybe uh, dog versus cat. But um, yeah, I've thought about like a. I should perfect my my predator calling for like the bears around here. Like I hear of a lot of guys calling in those bears with like a fawn in distress, which I believe oh, yeah. I could use like a like a like a rabbit in distress. Or what would be my best calls for for bears around here when I'm hunting them in the spring? Yeah, I would think I would think some sort of fawn. I bet you could even call them in with a rabbit distress. To be honest yeah. with you, I, you know, I I often think sometimes I. Does a predator really know that that's a rabbit in distress or a fawn in distress, or is it just recognized that it's something in distress and it could be a possible easy meal? You know, I, I really wonder that sometimes, you know, do they, can they really decipher what that is, you know? Um, so a lot of times I don't worry too much about what it is other than it's just a, a distress of some you know, kind. So, but yeah, I've heard of guys, you know, pulling that off with the bear, um, you know, so yeah, you could definitely, definitely pull it off. And with that I, that distress call, it's it's um it's like a real hyper uh like a like a scream just right like like something like really in distress and like excited right that's how you call. Would you do it with a mouth call or would you get an electric call or how would you do it? Well, it'd probably depend. I mean, every especially when you're talking big game like a bear, you know, the state regulations would probably dictate whether you could use an electronic call or not. Oh, um, okay. If, you know, if I could, because obviously, you know, you in some you can't, can't use electronic calls for elk, you know, in a lot of states, oh, okay. um, even deer, you know. So, but if you could, by hands down, I would use electronic call just because they're real sounds. You have a remote capabilities where I can get the sound out away from me, um, and you know, now whatever you're calling is hunting the 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 call out there. You know, they're hunting the sound coming out of the speaker, not you kind of hiding off in the sidelines you know waiting to ambush them when they do show up you know if you if you blow a hand call you know then they're coming right to you which is exciting in some points but um now you know there's a better chance for the that predator or whatever you're hunting to to see you to 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 get straight down wind of you you know that's what those predators will do sometimes is they'll circle down wind to use their nose and um, once they smell you it's usually over so you know yeah if you can use an electronic call for whatever it is um you know i'm a huge proponent of that 
Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check the regs. Oh, that's wild. So sounds like that electronic call is the way to go. Being real sound, set it up away from you, the 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 coyote comes into that. So that's what you're using a lot of times for these coyotes is you have that electric call with a remote that you like. Yeah, I mean, it's wild, the technology that are in these, you know, electronic calls now. You know, I've been fortunate enough to work with a company called Lucky Duck for the last five or six years, and a good buddy of mine, Rick Pellett's, kind of developed the entire sound library on this thing and it's all real animal sounds you know great coyote sounds you know the the distress sounds are really good for coyotes you know rabbit bird distress and you know mouse distress whatever you want to call it but you know coyotes get smart really quick so later on in the season you know you start talking about you know those late winter months especially if you're out there wanting to do some predator control you know now guys have been hunting you know all your big game guys are done what november you know, and they're kind of looking for something to do all winter. So a lot of them then will pick up the predator hunting come December, January. So by the time you get to, you know, late January, February, you know, guys have been pressuring coyotes quite a bit. And, you know, I like to say, you know, you get one crack at a coyote, but once you mess it up, meaning you call in that coyote, you either shoot and miss or he gets downwind and smells you and runs off and you don't kill that coyote, you know, he's, he might be five or ten times harder to kill. That coyote's just naturally going to be a little smarter and wiser at that point. So, you know, once you get to the later part of the season, you need a few more tricks in the bag to, to kill coyotes. And that's where a lot of the coyote vocalizations and the coyote fighting sounds and the coyote pup distress sounds and, you know, just the, the wide variety of sounds you can find on these electronic calls nowadays. That's really where those shine, you know, late season when you're trying to trick some of these coyotes that have been pressured now for three four months. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I had a I had a buddy that I used to hunt with quite a bit, and um, when we're out hunting in the field, we we run into quite a few coyotes. And man, he had the best like mouth call that he would use, like the best squeak, like a mouse squeak. Oh, little just would... a, like a lip squeak, like a little kissing. He just put his kind of yeah, yeah. Is that what it is? Gosh, I'm yeah, I'm horrible at it. Every time I try it, they run the opposite way, Jeff. But uh, he was like really good at it. So that's what it is. I'm gonna have to listen back to the audio, just like a mouth squeak. Yeah, a lot of guys you can. A lot of guys will do it. You can su- kind of suck on the side of your hand. I just just put my lips together. It kind of like yeah, it just sounds huh. like a little uh, mouth squeaking or something. And we call that yeah in the predator world. That's just kind of a little lip squeak. That's you'll finish coyotes. You know when. Maybe you get a coyote to a couple hundred yards and the coyote kind of stops and looks around and he's not quite sure, you know, what what he wants to do. But you want to get him a little bit closer so you have a little bit easier shot. Um, A lot of times that's what they'll do is just a few little lip squeaks like that. And boom, you know, here they come, you know, a little drum right in close. But, yeah, I can imagine you out there tromping around through the the wilderness, um, you know, especially with your bow. I, I bet you you could have some fun trying to lip squeak in some of those early fall coyotes especially some of the young coyotes you know and get a little target practice huh yeah no doubt uh give me that uh the lip squeak one more time so i can imprint it gosh yours sounds good if i was a coyote i'd definitely get shot by it that one sounds good um yeah my buddy was so good at it like we just run into a coyote you know inside a couple hundred yards and he'd give it some mouse squeaks and bring it in just like you're saying like to to finish him off to bring him in close uh but it worked really well yeah i've got to perfect that that sound yeah a lot of guys up here too are um hunting wolves 
and uh, uh, guys keep trying to talk me into going. Um, and wolf season is later, and they're you know not hunted with a bow; they're hunted with a rifle. And so I've got a rifle all set up, and I've I've been toying with the idea of getting out and going for those. But they kind of seem like a like a mix of. I mean, they're definitely predator hunting; they're predators. But it it seems like a a real mix and match of western hunting as there's um, you know these packs they just roam these these huge vast landscapes for miles and miles and miles and i'm i've heard that they're real smart kind of like you talk about coyotes and that you know they're really tough to to catch up to and then you know once you see them getting close like it's a lot more it sounds to me like it's a lot more spot and stock and less calling because you know to your first point or to your point about bobcats like you've got a call where they can hear you and come in but i i would think that'd be pretty wicked have you ever had a chance to hunt wolves yeah, you know, I've been to Idaho two different times, um, chasing wolves. Kind of back, it's it's been maybe six, eight, ten years now. It's kind of back early on when they kind of opened those seasons. Um, you know, the the biggest challenge when I went out there, I just didn't have enough time. You know, like you talked about, it's there's not a wolf hiding behind every draw, you know, or every every drainage. So, you know, you like you said, you may be a pack of eight or 12 of them. There may be a few lone wolf, you know, younger wolves that kind of got kicked out or displaced a little bit trying to find whatever. But, yeah, you, you take a you take a, you know, a 100 square mile area in the mountains and there may be one pack there. You know, I mean, that's the most rugged stuff you can find. Limited access and roads and, and you have to get within a thousand yards of where these wolves are probably before you're going to have a chance to realistically, you know, get them closer to get a shot so yeah that's the that was the toughest part um for me was you know you show up into an area i felt like i had the knowledge if we found wolves to get them killed but you know just not having the 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 right personnel with me that knew the area you know it took me two it took me a couple days just to learn the roads and learn the area we were hunting and i only had like four days to hunt so um it was never enough you know so yeah, if you got a combination of somebody that really knows the area well, knows how to get in and, and knows where access is at, um, you know, maybe has great, you know, some ideas of where you can get up high and do some glassing, because I think that's really what you would do is is get to points, probably a lot like big game hunting, where where you glass and you find where the wolves are at, um, and then you just try to sneak in close enough, you know. Just like a coyote, it's probably within the, you know, if you got within six, 800 yards where they're at, then I think at that point you can, you know, use the calls, um, whether you just, you know, use your mouth and do some lone, you know, wolf howls or you set up an electronic call, whether you're blowing a hand call, whatever it is. I think if you get within that bubble, you know, that 600 yard or 800 yard bubble where they're at, you know, then I think you can have some luck. But finding them, you know, knowing where you need to go and stuff like that, that's by far the, the biggest challenge of wolf hunting, at least in my opinion. Yeah, that sounds spot we'll on. Have to team up. You know, you know where it's all at. See, that's that's what you do. You take somebody that knows the country and knows how to hunt big game like that, and then you throw a coyote hunter in the mix that can finish the deal. And help, we just call them in and just punch a bunch of tags at once, when the whole pack comes rolling in. <laughs> that's that's what I need. That's uh, exactly right. Uh, that sounds spot on to me. No, I, uh, the way you describe it is exactly how I've heard of it. Guys really get hooked on it, and I think it's. It's cool with the with the the coyote hunting with the wolf hunting. You know, it's um, there's so much talk about the the crowding nowadays. Uh, you know, in the public lands, but 
it, it's nice predator hunting. Like you almost have it all to yourself. I mean, there might be another wolf hunter or two out in the valley, but there, it's just not as crowded as big game hunting. And so you get to go have this wild experience, you know, in this in this country. And probably a lot of why you like coyote hunting. Like how fun to travel from Nebraska down to Arizona. That's worlds different down there in that desert habitat and hunt those coyotes. And and um, so fun in those winter months, like you're talking about. Like I love going down there and um, I hunt like. The the Sonoran desert mule deer that are really heavy, dark oh, yeah. horns, low densities down there. And then also I got hooked on hunting coos deer for five seasons or so where they're, you know, the success odds runs about 3% with a bow and arrow, you know, but you get like the best <laughs> rut season and you get like the best dates and the, the best locations, the best units every year, you know? So, um, yeah, for me, like a lot of the fun of the Western hunting is just traveling to these different habitats. And then, you know, there's always the challenge of dialing in that habitat, just like you talk about Idaho for wolves or Arizona for coyotes. And now you've been doing it long enough in so many places. Like you've built this really good predator hunting skill set. Like you've honed your instincts and skills through experience. And so now you can probably go about any place and kind of dial in the predator hunting, which is really cool. Yeah, and that's key. That's just like anything, you know. You you know, you kind of learn the areas and and you, uh, just understanding what you're hunting, you know, whether it's mule deer, elk, coyotes, just really understanding the animal, what they're what they're looking for, what kind of habitats they prefer. Um, yeah, that's really the key. But I have a funny story for you. You know, you brought up being down there hunting those snore mule deer and stuff. We were down in, in southeast Arizona hunting, and we were filming for the the show, the YouTube show we do, and we didn't realize What's the show, Jeff. It's called The Last Stand. Right on um, uh, YouTube. So, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, we cool. just put out our fourth season. We'll be getting ready to start filming for season five. But um, anyway, we're we're down in Arizona, getting ready to shoot all these coyotes, and we failed to realize that it was opening weekend of their mule deer season. <laughs> oh no! So so it was it was on a it was kind of some checkerboard public land kind of stuff, and we show up there, and there are there are mule deer hunters everywhere. And, and so we're kind of freaking out thinking, oh man, this is really going to screw up. And we're hearing shots ring out, you know, all day long guys hiking around in their orange. And of course we're not wearing orange cause we're coyote hunting. So we're in full camo. So we're a little nervous about that. And we ended up killing 16 coyotes and a bobcat on camera that day. And it was the craziest thing. We had guys driving down two track. We're on stand calling coyotes and have just, over the hill behind us, you know, here comes an ATV and a truck rolling down the two track, like 200 yards from us. And we have a coyote coming to the call on a run. And he doesn't even look over there at the trucks. And, you know, one of our the craziest stands we made is we shoot this coyote and a second coyote is kind of coming out of the mesquite brush. And he kind of circles around and we get him to come right back in. We shoot him and we pan the camera over and like 200 yards. There's an ATV and a truck just bouncing right down the road, you know, just because of all these hunters. Um, and, you know, we would drive down a two track and there'd be 13 or 15 fifth wheels, you know, campers and camps all set up. And we just drive in, you know, half mile back behind where they were camping and set up and make a coyote stand and kill a coyote, you know? So it was like, they could care less about coyotes and that's all we were there for. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's all the beauty of hunting public land and, you know, and, getting the seasons all screwed up like that, not knowing exactly what you're doing, especially when you're not a, a big game hunter and you're not really following that kind of stuff, you know? 
It rolls Man, that's wild, though. That is some action. <laughs> and it just shows, like, um, those coyotes can carve out a living right around humans, can't they? Like, it doesn't even bother them much to be a, a half mile away from these camps because they have to smell those camps and, and know they're there, but they they just don't spook off. Like, they, they're able to... Uh, like survive and go undetected like around these humans and kind of avoid them that's pretty wild yeah it is it's it's always fascinates me sometimes you think coyotes are the dumbest thing you've ever seen and other times you're just fascinated on how smart they are you know so never fails there's there's all types of coyotes i guess man that's super cool Uh, um i bet that's fun uh capturing those on film as well uh especially doing four seasons like uh, filming's like, I mean, like anything we're talking about, right? Like any of the hunting. But the more you do it, the better you get. And, like, I always thought, you know, gosh, I do the coolest adventures. If I could just capture those on camera, I'd make for the best films. And, and then I get home and I go through my footage and start organizing it and just don't realize how to tell a story through the footage. Or they turn the camera on me and I freeze. I forget how to talk into the camera. Uh, you know, it's like um, but it, it takes work and it takes time to really develop those skills and what you need to capture, you know, to be able to, to condense that, that time and show that experience or show that adventure. Uh, so it's like it's it's definitely a learning curve like anything else. So I'm sure Four Seasons uh, – uh, four seasons you probably picked up some tricks along the way huh yeah you know we've been fortunate you know with uh we've had a production company the whole time so they they send a couple camera guys each each hunt so you know early on i told them i said you know i'm tired of the of the of the videos where you see the guy flipping off the safety and all the reenactment stuff after the fact i said i want this to be real time you know if you don't get the video in real time i said uh, then we're not going to use it you know and i want I told him I wanted two camera angles because a lot of times in coyote hunting, you know, it, it can happen fast and you don't know if the coyote's going to come in from the left, the right, straight out. I mean, you're kind of hoping you kind of always set up to kind of funnel them into the right area. But ultimately, a lot of times it's just a wild guess where they're going to show up at. Um, and so we spread out sometimes if we have multiple hunters um, and one one guy may see the coyote and shoot it and the other guy never even saw anything, you know, so. Um, you know, I told them with getting a couple different camera angles, we can get stuff. And, and that's really what we've done. And, you know, we've had a couple sets of camera guys. Um, the first guys we had were with us for three seasons and, uh, they actually went and worked for meat eater now. So, uh, that was kind of exciting for them, but they did a phenomenal job for us. They captured just some incredible coyote footage that, you know, nobody had ever seen really. Um, and then we just started working with this new production company, um, you know, in season four. And, and so they're taking the, you know, they're, they're getting used to it. I'm, everybody that's ever filmed coyotes said it's the toughest thing they've ever filmed, you know, just because of the speed and how fast the coyotes come in and they don't stand there forever, you know. They may stand there for a second or two and then they're moving and you got to stay on them and it's sunny and you're trying to find them in the viewfinders and stuff like that. So it's a challenge for those camera guys, but uh, they embrace it. And uh, when we finally do capture something pretty cool, it's always awesome to, to rewatch it and, and relive it, you know. Man, yeah, um, that's super cool. Yeah, some some really skilled guys, like skilled behind the lens. And then, you know, it's uh, it's it's always this conundrum. It's like, would you would you rather have somebody really skilled behind the lens or somebody that really knows how to hunt? And it's like, well, I'd really like to have both. Like <laughs> that seems to work good. But um, but but it is like uh, you get some of those photo guys, and sometimes they don't have the best hunting skills, or they they move at the wrong time, or they just haven't learned all those nuances to them coming in. And um, there's uh, uh, nothing worse than having a cameraman screw it up. Although it is nice that I can. <laughs> 
and put the blame on somebody else every once in a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was where we're at with this group of, of, of new camera guys we had this year. I mean, these guys are phenomenal camera guys. I mean, they shoot commercials for John Deere and, I mean, you name it. They do. They shoot for movies and TV shows. I mean, these are like professional camera guys, but they've never really filmed a bunch of hunting. So it's been kind of fun working with them and kind of showing them coyote hunting because they weren't coyote hunters at all. Um, and kind of, but it, but when they're, when they're, professional camera skills come together and they capture something you know it, it's super top notch you know as far as what you see but there are some there are some uh, spots where you know coyotes don't get captured on on film when we shoot them and but it's just all part of the deal you know mm-hmm. uh what weapons are you using do you use like a multi-weapon like a shotgun rifle form or, or what uh what's what's your best weapons for hunting coyotes you know, I'm a big AR-15 guy. Um, I've been shooting AR-15s at Coyotes since 2004 when that first Clinton ban was lifted. Um, I've always liked it. You know, the it's it's in the 223 platform. So, uh, you know, it does – the 223 for Coyotes, in my opinion, is pretty dang good. But, you know, there's a lot of great options, 22250, 243. Um, there's a ton of these Wildcat calibers now, you know, uh, that have come out over the last five or six, eight years too. That guys are shooting 22 nozzler and I mean you name it there. There's lots of options, but you know I've always just liked the semi-automatic capabilities of it. You know I shoot a lot of coyotes running. That's kind of that's kind of my thing, I guess, <laughs> is, is shooting running coyotes. You know, um, because it happens fast sometimes. Um, you know, on top of this, I do a lot of I do coyote schools and I do some guided coyote hunts. So a lot of times my clients will miss coyotes, and I usually carry my rifle just to you know clean up. You know, if, if they miss a coyote, that's running off, you know. And uh, so I get a lot of practice shooting running coyotes and um, and have over the years. So and, and obviously having the semi-automatic capabilities of, you know, boom, 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 boom. You know, a lot of times I'll get a running coyote on maybe the third or fourth shot um, or even later. Um, but, you know, with a bolt gun, I'd be just racking, maybe getting my second shot off, you know. So I've always liked that, you know. And in the, the ARs nowadays, you know, that gun of mine will shoot sub-half-inch groups at 100 yards, which is you know a lot of bolt guns too so it's not like you're sacrificing accuracy or anything like that um but uh hmm. but yeah that's kind of my go-to we do shoot a lot with shotguns um you know especially when we're in arizona and some of that thicker country even some of that sagebrush country like in nevada idaho wyoming you know uh where you where you lack a little visibility or the the brush is a little bit taller than the height of a coyote a lot of times the coyotes will get on you fast and uh you know anytime that can happen that's shotguns just a great you know, tool for coyotes because they'll come running in to the call and they'll be gone just as fast as they were there. And it's hard to try to get them in the scope, you know, when they're just running by at 30 yards going, you know, 30 mile an hour. So a little bit easier to kill them with a shotgun, you know, in those situations. So, yeah, we do a little bit of a little bit of everything. Hmm. Yeah, that um, that AR, man, you got that thing shooting. I've got like a new one I'm messing around with, and uh, like I haven't found that kind of accuracy with it yet. So, like, what's your what's your range with that thing? Are you like trying to get them in a couple hundred or in? Like, it shot pretty good for me, but definitely not that sub half inch. Um, and I I was also just sighting it, in, but I got to clean it out and then go out and shoot it again and see what kind of groups I can get with it. But you're saying like you're getting incredible accuracy with that two two three. Are you messing around with ammo or pretty much thing just shoots you know i've been pretty fortunate you know hornady developed a new round for the 223 here i don't know maybe five six years ago it's a 53 grain v max mm. um and before that i'd shot i'd shot 50 grain you know ballistic tips v maxes 55s hollow 
messed around with a lot of different, you know, bullet types and weights. But for whatever reason, this 53 shoots just phenomenal out of this, mm. this Daniel defense of mine. It's an 18 inch barrel. It's one and seven twist, which a lot of guys think, you know, that seven's a little, it's, it needs to be like a one and eight or one and nine to shoot these smaller bullets. But for whatever reason, I mean, a factory rifle, it's a higher end AR. It's like maybe a $2,000 AR. Um, you know, but these factory bullets and that is, and, and that's suppressed, you know, which actually helps a little bit. Um, you know, it it does tighten up my groups just a little bit when I have that suppressor on there, and I don't know oh, if wow. that's just because the the recoil's a little less, so I just shoot the gun a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, or maybe harmonics. You know, when you when you thread that suppressor on there, maybe, you know, I don't know all the specifics of you know, but I know there probably you know could be the possibility of, you know, something different with the barrel when you screw that on. You know, that could tighten up the groups or even open up your groups. You know, but um, but yeah, I've been pretty fortunate that this gun and and those, that ammo shoots just phenomenal. So. So yeah, I'll shoot. Um, you know, I, I started. You know, Sig Six Hour Optics came on as a sponsor of Predator Pros. Um, you know, so I started shooting some of their stuff with um, you know all the stuff that they have to offer. So yeah, I'll shoot that gun four or five hundred yards. Um, you know, and feel pretty confident that I can kill a coyote. You know, at those distances with it. Um, you're shooting a small bullet like that. Wind is is really crucial. You know, it don't take mm-hmm. much to blow a little bullet a, a couple feet at those distances so and usually God, there's always some wind you know when you're out in the fall and winter hunting coyotes you know so that's always the challenge of, of killing something at that distance but uh but yeah i, I kill plenty of coyotes out you know three four five hundred yards um because there are coyotes that get smart you know and they sit up out there and they just they've come as far as they want they can kind of see everything and you haven't fooled them enough to get them any closer so having a tool like that that can shoot them out there a little further is a just another uh you know tool to put in your bag yeah another asset for sure yeah um i need to spend some more time with that rifle it sounds like that thing will shoot i also need to try better ammo i've been shooting cheaper ammo out of it it sounds like i need to step up and try some of that hornady ammo uh that stuff seems like it shoots but yeah i just need to spend more time and i think i have been out shooting it in the wind so you make a good point about that that wind blowing that little bullet around yeah to blow it a couple feet like out at those longer 200 300 yard shots you know it just wasn't quite i just haven't got the groups that i think that gun should shoot yet but i also haven't spent enough time with it and it's easy to lay down with a a bolt action rifle with some ammo that i know shoots and put in a good group so yeah i think i just need to mess with it a little bit more but it's great to hear that with that 18 inch barrel the one and seven twists that you're getting that kind of accuracy out of it yeah it's been great you know and a lot of guys have kind of followed along in my footsteps and kind of used the same setup and i get messages from them you know on facebook or instagram or whatever about and theirs all shoot you know really the same so so yeah it just takes you know just like anything sometimes you got to mix you know mix up the the ammo especially if you're a, a reloader you know, a lot of guys will spend a lot of time trying to find the right recipe that shoots the best in their rifle. Um, and it's no different when you're trying to shoot factory stuff. If you're not a, a hand loader, um, you know, buy, you know, different, you know, brands, different, you know, bullet types, different, you know, bullet weights and, and see what shoots the best. Yeah, well, and also, like, uh, I begin chasing my tail a little bit, too, because I'm shooting that gun, and, of course, it'll shoot... Uh, you know, so much ammo through it that I end up getting a hot barrel, and then a hot barrel does not shoot accurately. And I'm shooting in wind, and I'm trying to sight yep. it in. So I just got to spend more time, and then open up my wallet a little bit and get some of that good <laughs> ammo. Yeah, that's where guys do get themselves in trouble with these ARs. You know, I noticed that just being around ARs for a long time, and and just walk 
watching guys shoot them. When they go to the range, they'll pow, 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 you know, and put a couple clicks on there and then pow, 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 you know, as fast as they can shoot rounds through it. Before they know it, they might have shot 15 rounds through it in a minute, you know, and, and yeah, by then your barrel's hot. Obviously, you're not, you don't have a cold bore zero anymore. Uh, everything's just different. So, so yeah, it takes a little more patience when you're shooting an AR at the range to try to get it right because, because you got to force yourself to sit there a little bit between rounds so you don't get the barrel so hot so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah, I got to get these guns out and shoot them again here. I got to get that, that AR out. And then also, uh, the shotgun with slugs I've got, uh, hunting in, in thick grizzly bear country this year. And so, uh, definitely making sure that I'm dialed in with my pistol, you know, that, uh, uh pretty much my self defense, you know, out in the mountains bow hunting to have that in this. Cause we get multiple attacks every year from these grizz bears. They oh, can yeah. be pretty gnarly. So definitely got to have, like, my head on a swivel. So I've been practicing and all my shooting drills from all the the special force and shooting instructors I know you know that are that are teaching me how to draw better well I shot uh, so I hunt those black bears with my bow and um, uh, through hunting them the last 15 20 years um, those things uh, they're pretty gnarly themselves like you shoot a bear with an arrow and it's just different it's probably like a coyote like they don't run like an ungulate like they they roar like a lion and bite at the yeah. arrow and they're the instantly pissed off you know and, and so like I, I i shoot these black bears and you're in close and so you know i've been charged by a couple of them uh one i put a second arrow in like five feet away from me and the other one oh, uh i put a good arrow through his lungs and he wasn't like charging me to try to kill me he was trying to make a death run and get out of the spot he was at but the way the country i kind of shot below him in this draw filtered him right to me and so all of a sudden I had to throw my bow on the ground and draw my pistol and man I started shooting I didn't look at my sights until shot seven and I was just spraying lead everywhere I ended up shooting <laughs> I think nine or eleven times and hit that bear twice and grazed him once like thank goodness I had an arrow through his lungs but it was a bit of a wake-up call too that you know I need to build a shooting process just like I do with my bow with this pistol and I need to get really good at drawing it and moving and shooting and uh, shooting with one hand when I have the bow in the other hand because my you know my life may come down to it so really practicing with that gun and then also you know uh, I got to get out the shotgun and shoot slugs it's that's my gun that uh, I take like once an animal's down once I kill an elk or once I this year I've got a moose tag in my home valley so once I kill a moose like that's one of the most dangerous times with grizzly bears is a sow with cubs or if they get on a carcass, they'll defend it. And if you get inside 100 yards, like a couple years ago, there was three attacks on the same trail before the Forest Service could get down there and shut it down. And, and that, that grizz bear had claimed an elk carcass and then was just attacking oh, everybody that walked up the trail, you know, uh, as soon as they got up there in his range. So uh, I definitely need to get out shooting more and with the shotgun, pistol, and then also take that AR and dial that thing in. But I'm super stoked that you told me you're getting that kind of accuracy because I was just a little bit bummed the first couple times out shooting it as I just haven't been able to dial it in yet. But just like you said, it's like anything. You just got to work with it and, uh, you know, uh, work with the ammo, find what that gun likes because these guns, they do – like most guns have a specific load that they like and and even not being a, a reloader like you said you can try out different factory ammo and you can you can find one that really matches up well with the gun and shoots it really well and and that goes for all guns I believe don't you Oh yeah you know another thing I was going to 
tell you about that. What uh, what type of trigger do you have in that AR? Because that's that's a huge thing with ARs too. Because you get such a a massive variety of triggers. You know, you have your mil spec. You know, if you buy a you know a, an AR that's probably in the you know six hundred to maybe even twelve hundred range, it's, it's probably going to just have armory a, one. I'm I'm not sure what range it is for cost, but I think it's. Up there, like probably the twelve hundred or fifteen hundred range, I would think. Gotcha. So it might it might have a, a a better trigger in it, but a lot of ARs just have your standard mil spec triggers in them, which are like an eight or nine pound pull. Like okay. you would, like if somebody told me your bolt gun had a nine pound pull, what would you do? You'd be like, yeah, <laughs> right, you know. But, right. But that's just what you know. Obviously, it's just hard. It's hard to shoot tight groups with a nine pound trigger pull. So yes. You know, you can you can drop in aftermarket triggers. I mean, the the trigger in my gun is a Geisley two stage trigger, so mm, um, it's like a two pound Geisley. You say Geisley? Yep, Geisley. Yeah. And and there's a there's a bunch of them out there nowadays. Um, aftermarket triggers, but um, and mine's a two stage. It's a lot of guys don't like the two stage because you got to there's a there's like two pounds of slack or two and a half pounds of slack that you pull out of the trigger, and then once it gets tight, then it's like a two pound pull from there. Which is good, which is what you want, you know. That's like equivalent to, you know, a good hunting rifle. You know, it's probably going to be somewhere in that two to three, you know, pound range. A good bolt gun, anyway. Wow. Um, can you put that two-stage trigger in any gun, or is that just for the AR yeah, platform? No, yeah, you can drop. You can drop it in. Um, well, just I don't know if they make two-stage triggers for bolt guns or not. Yeah. Um, well, I know you it's can light them. like an accu trigger, kind of. You know, similar yeah, to yeah. that, where where you pull the slack out a little bit, and okay, now I know as soon as the damn thing's tight. It's going, you know, so, um, but yeah, a lot of guys, if you haven't shot them a lot, it kind of, you know, guys don't like them, but you can get just a straight up, you know, two, two and a half, three pound, you know, Timony or something like that to even drop in ARs as well, which will, will obviously help you, you know, get better groups out of your gun. Jeff, I like that two-stage trigger. Like the next level shooting, like after shooting a bow for so long, bow execution, it's not about getting the pin where you want it and going now. Like it's getting the pin where you want it, and then it's, you know, pull, 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 or squeezing until that shot breaks. And so it forces you to let your aim float where you want it as you execute your shot. And as the the more I shot with bows, like the better I got at shooting rifles. The, you know, the, the, the worst half habit with a rifle is to like find hair find where you want to hit and jerk that trigger i've seen more guys miss more easy shots by jerking that trigger and everybody gets so excited and i've seen really good rifle (laughs) shots that then don't execute correctly on animals and so like that two-stage trigger seems perfect because you like set up to the shot you take that slack out of the trigger and now you're live to go and you can just let that thing float as you squeeze the rest of those two pounds out that trigger and get that that surprise shot i think that's so important for accuracy so is that something you've trained yourself with with these cuts in there there is a, a a time to punch a shot for sure you know as they're running you're squeezing shots off but um is, is that something you practice with those coyotes with your trigger yeah you know so i was in the marine corps uh, you know i did a lot of shooting there with with my mos and things like that so you know got a little extra training there um but yeah you know i've messed around with a lot of different triggers um you know early on you know maybe in the mid 2000s i did a lot of long range shooting you know so you know back then it was wasn't crazy like it is now but you know there wasn't all these programs and scopes and stuff we were doing a bunch of different stuff so yeah we were shooting 1000 1200 yards at that time not crazy distance like they're doing now but um but yeah with these ARs you know 
yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, my biggest thing too, and I think this is more so than just maybe working that trigger is using the same gun. And it's probably the same with a bow or anything else, probably more so with guns because guys probably have a bigger collection of guns. You know, it's, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a big bow hunter, so I don't know. Do guys own like five or six different bows and they kind of just decide at the last minute what bow I'm going to take out to hunt today or, or they mm-hmm. usually have one bow and that's all they shoot. Yep. One bow. That's their weapon. See, so what happens with these gun guys are is they have four or five ARs, and one may be in the 223, one may be in a 22 nozzler. Then they may have a, a 22250 bolt gun, especially in the coyote world. And every time they go coyote hunting, guess what they do? They take a different rifle with them. You know, well, obviously every gun has a different trigger, every gun has a different stock well, you know, every gun you probably have a different scope on them. You know, so you're not training yourself to shoot the same mechanism over and over and over again. Um, and that's one thing I've been a huge proponent of is picking one rifle. I do, I shoot it 100%, um, and just get as good as you can with it. And I'm sure it's the same with bows or anything else. And, and that's just kind of where this two stage trigger is. When I first got this rifle, I, I didn't specifically say I wanted a two stage in it, but once I started shooting and liking it, you know, then I saw advantages of it and that's all I shoot now. And, um, you know, the, the results there. So, hmm. So you're saying I got to order myself a new trigger. So these are interchangeable on these <laughs> AR platforms, huh? You can just um, yeah. pull that that trigger part and put a new one in there, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean it's it's not cra- easy, easy, but um, you know these triggers, these aftermarket triggers, run anywhere from maybe 150 to I don't know 300 dollars. Um, but yeah, there's just some pins on that side of that that lower receiver on your AR. There'll be a couple pins right above the trigger housing there. And mm-hmm. you kind of pop those pins, and there'll be some springs, and because your hammer and everything kind of hooks in. And if you ever open up an AR and look down in there, you know you'll see the hammer and a couple springs, and where your safety's at, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you pull a couple pins in there, and and you pull the old trigger out, and then you got to kind of put the new one in. But something if you have a local gunsmith or something like that, he could probably do it, you know, in a, an hour or two for you, pretty easy, and wouldn't cost you a whole lot. And then you can make sure it's done right, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm sure YouTube could teach me, but the internet's not yeah. always the best place to learn. Yeah, I definitely have some guys that are way better with these guns than I am that can probably do it in a quarter of the time and do a way better job and know it's done right. That's uh, that's good advice. I think I'll take that, oh, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, that's um, that's wild. There's um, so much to it. It's uh, what like uh, your scope setup on that thing. What are you using for a scope? So you said you have the Sig Sauer on there. Is it like an open like um, uh, red uh, reticle on it, or uh, uh, and then what power do you like to shoot on, or do you like a, a variable power, or what do you like for a scope? Yeah, so so I'm probably a little different than most coyote hunters. I shoot with tons of magnification. Um, I, I think right now I'm running, like I said, I haven't picked up, I haven't shot that rifle since February, but or in well, first March. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the five by thirty by fifty six. Wow. Um, the, uh, Sierra six BDX. Um, so, so one thing I've done kind of over the years, I said, you know, same rifle, shoot it all the time, get really good at that. Another thing I've done, um, I keep my scope at 11 power all the time. And, you know, a lot of guys ask me like, wow, that's a lot of magnification. It doesn't matter if the coyotes at 40 yards or, you know, 250 yards, you know, that's where I'll keep it. Now, you know, if a coyote checks up out there, two, three, four hundred yards, that's where I really like the magnification, you know, to zoom it in. Because a coyote's a small target. I mean, you're looking at, you know, maybe eight inches, you know, kill zone, if that. Um, and a lot of times we're, we're sitting on our butts, so we're using the swagger bipods, you know. 
So it's not, it's not like we're laying in the prone, you know, having a super steady shot. So, um, you know, I like to zoom it in on that kind of stuff, especially those farther shots. A lot of guys don't, but one thing I found over the years by keeping my scope at 11 power, it's really helped with my running shots. And, and what I mean by that, if I'm constantly, and you can kind of, maybe if you're listening to this, you can kind of visualize it. If, if let's say you, a lot of guys will turn their scopes way down low, like whatever the lowest your scope will go, a lot of guys I coyote hunt will, will do that because they think, okay, if a coyote comes running in, I want as big a field of view as possible to try to find this coyote because he's moving, you know, and it's, it's not easy to find something in a scope as it's moving, you know, especially if you don't shoot a lot. Um, but if, let's say you're sitting there with your scope on three power and a coyote's out there running at 150 yards, well, you're the, the, the coyote in a four power scope is just smaller, obviously, right? As opposed to if you had your scope on 10 or 11 power, the coyote is going to be bigger. Now that distance yep. also too, between your center, your crosshairs and where that coyote at is going to change, whether you have it on, you know, let's say you want to put a four foot lead on a running coyote. Okay. Um, that's going to look different if you have it on four power versus 11 power, correct? Oh, I see. Yep. So by, and, and a lot of times shooting running coyotes or making running shots is all instinctual, at least in my experience. You know, it's not something I sit there in my head and kind of calculate as a coyote's running. Oh, okay, I need to do this. And, you know, you don't have time for that. It's just your eye has to read, you know, what you think that distance is. And, and you have to allow your crosshairs to get out there in front of that coyote, whatever you think that is. Well, if I'm constantly changing my magnification all around and shooting running coyotes at different magnifications, well, my eye is not, not getting trained, right? Because that distance is always changing between the coyote and the center of the crosshairs because, you know, if, if it's a wider field of view or a closer field of view. So what I've done is just keep my, keep my scope at 11, 10, 11 power, you know, all the time. And then that same, that sight picture is always the same. And it basically is, is trains your brain, um, to, to the right holds and something kind of weird, you know, but, um, it's kind of one of those things that's really hard to explain it. You know, I show showcase it a lot and it'll show it, you know, on a board and stuff, you can kind of draw it out and stuff like that. But, uh, if that makes sense, you know, um, so yeah, maybe that more makes magnification. complete sense, Jeff. Yeah. That was really well explained. Yeah. No, I understand completely. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It's um, going to make your instincts better. And a lot of this, like you say, you don't have time to think, oh, three foot lead or four foot lead. You're reacting to it uh, and, and leading that coyote. And a lot of it's on feel and on these instincts that you've honed through experiences. And so, like, um, yeah, your hold, depending on if he's 50 yards or 150, to have that same sight picture and kind of know what the size of the coyote is and then instinctually be able to lead that coyote whatever you think you should, uh, I can see where that would be way advantageous for shooting those things, and especially on the move. That has to be the highest degree of difficulty. Yeah, I mean, shooting and running, I get I get a tons and tons of questions about because when we're filming the show, I'll shoot a lot of coyotes running and stuff like that, and and I get a lot of comments about it, and people want to know how to do it, and I'm like, well, I don't really know how to teach running coyotes. It just takes tons of experience, you know, shooting because it's it's not it's three dimensional essentially because not only not every coyote is running perfectly left to right, you know, they may be quartering away at some degree running they may be running straight away they may be running away up a hill or down a hill or um you know so it's 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 really weird it's like a three-dimensional thing your eye has to really triangulate that at super fast speeds to try to figure out you know where do i need to get that crosshair you know to shoot because 
you know, there's sometimes, you know, a lot of people, I think, under lead coyotes. I mean, a coyote on a dead run's going 40 mile an hour. So, um, you know, back in school when we're all there and they do those things, you know, you can actually figure out, you know, if a coyote's running 40 miles an hour, you know, and your bullet's going 3,000 feet per second, you know, how many millis, you know, how much time does it take your bullet to travel 200 yards? And then you figure how much ground does a coyote cover running 40 miles an hour in that same time? And, you know, it may be 12, 15 feet lead on some of these coyotes. And that's, you know, and that's like maybe 200, 250 yard shots. Um, you know, so a lot of people under lead coyotes, it's crazy how, how fast they can cover ground, you know? So, I mean, there'll be a lot of times I'll have the coyote will, will be clear almost out of my sight picture, you know, a field of view. Um, you know, that's how far leads, you know, some of these coyotes take and, but it's cool when there's nothing, there's nothing better than watching a coyote just cartwheel on a, on a dead run and come to a complete stop dead in a doornail, you know, at a couple, two, 300 yards. I mean, that's, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. Man, that's super cool. Well, yeah, you'll, um, uh, you have to, have you ever been up here to Montana hunting coyotes? You know, a couple times, um, been up, my dad grew up in Southeast Montana around Alzada and is it Ekalaka? Is that yep. how you pronounce yep. that? Yeah. Yeah. He, he grew up there back in the seventies, worked on a sheep ranch. So, um, maybe 15 years ago, him and I took a little trip up there, uh, for a couple of days. And then, um, a few years back, I took my boys up. Uh, we were clear out kind of more in Western Montana. Um, Bozeman past, what's the town up, um, Kind of if you go through past Billings and up Bozeman and you kind of head more to the north, it's not up in the mountains, but it's what's yeah, let's name see, a town the, up that way. Um, Helena's up there and um, Great Falls and uh, uh, north of Bozeman. There's a bunch of spots like I think north it was Great of Falls, Livingston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West of Great Falls. I knew a guy that was working on a ranch out that way and um, we took the trip out that way. So super um, cool. But, yeah. That, I bet that eastern Montana is so good. I I see and hear so many coyotes out there by Alzada, Ekalaka, like some of that country. Yeah, there's good. I, I actually was talking to Ike the other day. I think we're gonna try to maybe do a a little collaboration of some kind, you know, later here this winter. Um, you know, between Predator Pros and Eastman's and our Last Stand show, and um, he was talking about some outfitter that they they hunt with. I don't know if it's around Billings or somewhere, but uh, he said they're you know always complaining of the coyotes. So. Maybe we'll you'll see it on a future episode of us up there whacking coyotes in Montana. Yeah, right on, man. Um, well, thanks so much for hopping on with me, and um, congratulations on the the fourth season of the show. Uh, congratulations on the Predator uh, Pro podcast, um, man. Um, you're doing a, a lot of cool things in the industry. It's really neat to see. So fun to get you on um, and have a conversation. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully some of your big game guys. I know you got a great following. Um, hopefully some of those, maybe after the big games are over, they'll they'll want to get after some coyotes and, and want to pick up some tips and stuff. Um, yeah, lots of crazy good stuff on our, on on some of the episodes. You know, I try to do a a good job of chasing coyote hunting from all over the country because it is a, a different. You know, between the the thermal night hunting back east, which is is super popular, just with the type of terrain and the densities of population and the way the farms and the landscape is compared to the western hunting um and even like you what we talked about down in arizona it being different than up in idaho and montana and um and just kind of whether it's decoy dogs or uh calling in raccoons and shooting you know we we talk a lot about a a lot of different things in the predator world so hopefully if nothing else you can find something that's uh, entertaining and and uh, instructional and and, uh, 
you know, enjoy the hour listening to it. Yeah, well, and and that's it too. Like, just um, you know, so much of this this hunting is like uh, honing our instincts. And you know, I thought like duck hunting as a kid got me used to that excitement, of, like those ducks cupping their wings and committing committing to the decoys, and then getting a shot on them and having to lead them. And you know, it it's like a predator hunting where you get a lot more chances. I used to like it more as a kid because I'd go out and I'd shoot a box of shells at at ducks under this you know, these adrenaline filled moments. And so I think it made me better and made me, you know, more clutch in those moments, being able to practice it over and over again. And, and I think that's, um, you know, predator hunting, like you can go, uh, full bore head over heels, like you are traveling to all these different places, but it's also like a, a really good thing to add to Western big game hunting where you can pick up another 10 days, 20 days uh, of being in the field, uh, trying to, to outsmart and outwit these coyotes and, and, and really helping with predator control. You're doing a good thing for the ungulate populations. And, and you're also like, you're honing your skills and you're, you're, you're teaching yourself how to be clutch in these moments, you know, being able to, to make these extreme shots or running shots or whatever it is. Uh, it's definitely not going to hurt your big game, uh, uh, hunting repertoire, you know, getting out there and getting some some repetition, like shooting yotes. So, man, I I think uh, uh I think it's great, and I I think guys should take part in it and definitely check out your podcast and the videos you put out. Uh, in fact, I got to go check out those videos myself. But yeah, super fun to have you on the podcast, Jeff. Well, appreciate it, man. Yeah, if anybody needs more info, needs to find me or on social media platforms or YouTube, you know, they can go to a website. It's craze.com uh that has links to the podcast no social media like i said so um and there's just uh, articles i've written you know throughout the year so so yeah like you said man you got to get out you can um you can learn a lot you know especially if you're sitting around december and january you know twiddling your thumbs waiting for turkey season or whatever um yeah you know just cover in country learning new access and roads Mm. You know, coyote hunting, you have to play the wind, you know, just like you're doing and put stocks on big game, you know, playing the wind, using using the cover, um, you know, and things like that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, you know, interchangeable with yeah, both and so much overlap skills there. hone and, and, you know, instead of just uh, being done with your hunting season come November. Yeah, absolutely, man. You couldn't be more spot on. So uh, that was craze.com, that website, Jeff. C-O-Y-O-T-E-C-R-A-Z-E dot com. Cool. Right on. We'll go check it out. Um, thanks again. I appreciate it, Jeff. All right, Brian. Appreciate you having me on, man. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, fun conversation with Jeff. I'm so knowledgeable about predator hunting. So I know I learned a few things. Uh, hopefully you guys did too. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Savage, Swagger, Outdoor Edge, Camo Fire, and Black Ovis. Uh, so thanks to those guys, their support of the podcast, and thanks to you guys for the support. I uh, really appreciate the shares and um, comments on um, uh, podcast platforms, things of that nature. So um, really appreciate you guys. Hopefully you're having a good season. Um, man, I'm just uh, trying to catch up to a moose here. It's been a real challenge. So probably have close to 20 days in and um, uh, no big bowl to show for it yet. I did see one last weekend. I had this epic day. Saturday, I saw 13 moose and saw a big bull and then um, hunted them for three days and just never came up with them. Had to get back to work here. And so, 
trying to get some things done. Today's Wednesday, going to release the podcast tomorrow, Thursday, and then hopefully I can get enough stuff done to kind of cut out for another Friday, Saturday, Sunday of living in the mountains and see if I can catch up to one of these things. So, um, man, different species and different habitats present different challenges, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, their their densities are so low, so uh, they're few and far between, even though it's a good, healthy population of moose. But, um, man, I'll catch up to one. Just got to keep trying. I did pass a smaller bull on Saturday, uh, which it was nice to be in bow range of a bull moose intended species. So, um, yeah, just keep after them. Hopefully you guys have some hunts coming up, keeping after your hunts. And, um, Man, it's been a busy hunting season, but fun for sure. Uh, make sure to support everything we do at Eastman's. You can support the internet TV show on the Beyond the Grid, uh, YouTube, and then um, uh, Outdoor Channel, the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. We sure appreciate the support. And um, with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.